Shalom and welcome back to Madua Mada. It has been a while, Tim. It for... does feel like it's been a long time. Yeah, it? I, it has. It has been a long time. We had vacation. I was sick, and uh, I don't know. We just kind of lost track of time in some ways, and we've come to the end of the year and. This is kind of a bittersweet episode for us, Tim, uh, I'm afraid, because uh, at least as of now, this, well, let's call this our season finale, (laughs) and we are yet to see whether or not we're going to be picked up for a season two, and if we are picked up for a season two, unfortunately, our friend Tim is likely not going to be here for that. Do you want to tell everybody why, Tim? So I am moving to California, which means that I will not be at the school (laughs) next year. No. (laughs) No. What does California have that we don't, other than amazing weather and great opportunities for Silicon Valley scientists? Well, and the job that my wife got. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) That that might play a little bit of a role. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Well, yes. Needless to say, we're going to miss you terribly, and it's it's an extraordinary loss for the school. Uh, but also for me personally, and also for our podcast. So I'm not exactly sure uh, what season two of Madua Mada <laughs> is going to bring, but this is the se- the season finale. Maybe we'll get one of those reboots. Maybe, uh, but but we'll see. Yeah, see but, if you can get Hulu to uh, sponsor it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But we are here now, and uh, we are talking about the upcoming holiday of Shavuot. Shavuot is the holiday that we commemorate the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai. And it's a big holiday on our tradition, although because of where it falls out in the year and for all sorts of other reasons, it doesn't always get kind of the, I don't know, the play that Pesach does or Sukkot does. I mean, had you ever even heard of Shavuot before you started working here? Um, no, but I knew a lot of the, of the, holidays by different names oh right you knew them as pentecost oh well that's it this is pent okay i this did not realize pentecost. that this was pentecost yeah this is pentecost because yeah i i certainly know pentecost although it has a very different meaning in yeah what is na- what does pentecost mean so in the christian faith pentecost is the uh day that the holy spirit was given to christians wow huh now that's interesting. It's like the day that the Torah was given to it. This isn't even like a comparative religion podcast, <laughs> Tim. Okay, but that. Uh, but you know what? It's our last one. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, <laughs> he's like the gloves are off. I'm bringing it all out. Yeah, no, that's great. No, it's it's interesting because uh, this is what about 40 days after? Uh, Not about. Pesach. It is exactly 50 days after, and that's why we've been counting the Omer. Okay. Every day in between Pesach and Shavuot to lead us to. We count seven sevens, which is why it's called Shavuot. It's seven sevens, seven weeks uh, exactly between the second day of Pesach and Shavuot. And um, I did not realize that, but I did know that there was a specific time frame, a certain number of days, and I knew it was in the neighborhood of 40 yeah. that were given because that was how long after um, after the crucifixion before wow that's wild so so like easter and pentecost have like a similar timeline as pesach and shavuot do yeah and that's not by i mean that's no of course that's I'm sure. not uh, yeah it's not a I coincidence mean, it's not coincidence yeah. yeah 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 i get that wow 
All right. Well, this took a turn. I, I wanted to talk about cheese today, and we ended up talking about Jesus's uh, um, in yeah. the spirit. And okay, well, not exactly what I expected. For yeah. This. No. 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 So on a different note. Yeah. No. Okay. So, anyways, Shavuot is a holiday of cheese. No. No. It's really a holiday about the Torah being given, as I was saying before. It has become known as the holiday where we eat dairy. And the reason is because there is a midrash, there is teaching that B'nai Israel, while they were waiting for the Torah to be given, they knew that there were going to be some laws about what animals were kosher to eat and what animals were not kosher to eat. And so since they knew that, but they didn't yet know which ones were okay to eat and which ones weren't, they, they made a decision, while we're waiting, let's just not eat any meat. And when they made that decision, they uh, they said, so we'll only eat dairy. Now, the truth is, it's kind of a backwards idea because dairy obviously also comes from animals, and we're not allowed to eat the milk or drink the milk of a non-kosher animal, just like we wouldn't be able to eat the meat of a non-kosher animal. So that kind of explanation doesn't really hold up per se, and yet that is the traditional understanding of why we eat dairy on Shavuot. But since you're here, I have some questions about the science of dairy, the science of milk. And um, I guess the first thing that I want to ask is, in some kind of simple form, so obviously I know that milk comes from animals and mm -hmm. is typically used to feed the offspring of, you know, of that animal. Of mammals. Of mammals, yeah, right. That's an important distinction. That, that's one of the cl things that classify what a mammal is, yes. right, is, is the dairy. So I, I'm a little interested in that. And also, how does it work? Uh, so I think there's a chemical question around it and also a biological question around it, too. So get us started. What, what do you want to tell us about milk that's in the simplest way to understand it? Well, I mean, milk is like the ideal food for rapid growth. Okay. And it, it is that ideal food because it has evolved to be the food that we feed uh, infants when they need to grow the fastest. Wow. At that time frame. And so what is it about it that makes it the ideal food for rapid growth? What a so, great way to think of it. Yeah. So the reason it's ideal is because it packs everything you need together. Uh, it packs water. It packs sugar in the form of primarily in the form of lactose it packs fats it packs um, proteins primarily in the form of casein but also in the form of uh, whey proteins as well as um, what is commonly known as ash which the ash is uh, all of the other small pieces that get left behind if you burn it <laughs> okay and so they they call it ash it's all the uh, the different um, other necessary um, vitamins and things like that. One of the one of the many different methods for breaking things down is to burn it and see mm -hmm. what gets left behind. See how much energy gets released um, using a calorimeter or something along those lines. And yeah, well, that's that is one of the processes. Great. So, but it sounds like the so milk has all these necessary growing foods. But then, you know, one thing I was also wondering is, so how come, how come we don't just 
evolutionarily? How come people stop, you know, nursing at a certain age? That's a really good question. Like, why do we need any other food? Well, that's a really good question, but it, and it comes down to the milk has to come from somewhere. Okay. And so if that was all you ever ate was milk, then you could only survive as long as your mother did. Mm. And there's limited quantities, so your mother would only be able to have a very small number of offspring. Uh-huh. And as you got bigger and, you, and the amounts that you needed became more significant, it would become harder and harder on her. And if she was also only able to survive on milk, mm. then you wouldn't be able to go from generation to generation. I see. So okay. you have to transition away from it. So every mammal has some kind of weaning process. Yep. Great. Now, I, I've been told, and I think this is true, but you can tell me one way or the other, that we are the only species that eats or drinks other species' milk. Is yeah. that true? Yes, um, at least largely. Okay. There, there are specific examples of, of, I mean, like, we feed cats milk and things like that. And so there right. are some specific examples like that where other animals do. But largely in nature, we are the only species that does. And that's because um, we, and, well, most humans and pretty much every other mammal in fact, I think every other mammal, but I'm not 100% certain of that, stops producing lactase. Okay. And lactase is the en- enzyme that breaks down the lactose sugar molecule into the glucose and galactose that make it up that we can digest. Mm-hmm. So we're not capable of digesting. Most, most humans and basically all mammals are incapable of digesting milk after you reach puberty. Um, and... But I eat it. And, and there comes a really interesting point. Roughly 10 to 20,000 years ago, after we started eating it and drinking it later in life and started producing dairy farms, we had um, a, there was a mutation that broke the gene that turns off the production of lactase. Okay. So that people who have that mutation, people who have had that mutation passed down to them, produce lactase throughout their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And so for Europeans, that's something like 97% of people now produce lactase throughout their life. Wow. For um, Asian peoples, it's somewhere around 4%. And if you look overall, it's something like 60% of people in overall do, still do not produce lactase through their entire lives. And which so, makes them lactose intolerant? Which makes them lactose intolerant. Wow. Wow. That's so crazy. Uh, now, we can still, if, if you're lactose intolerant, you can still eat dairy and drink milk. Um, there will be pro- uh, some digestive issues if you do. But if you take the lactase enzyme with it, mm-hmm. that's all that's needed. And so if you take a lactase enzyme, uh, which you can buy commercially, yeah in the form of lactate or other brands yeah if you take that with it you will be able to break down the glucose and galactose the lactose into its glucose and galactose chemical forms wow but can we talk also about other dairy products that are made of milk absolutely i think yeah the primary one that most of us think of is cheese cheese yeah so let's talk Um, about cheese because um somehow milk which is a liquid has to turn into a solid. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, I mean, the 
biggest piece going on is we are dumping off the liquid. What do, what do you mean? Um, so the, the milk is made up of a liquid with, a, with proteins and lactose sugars mixed into it mm -hmm. that we call whey. And the mm -hmm. primary proteins in the whey are the whey proteins. That's mm -hmm. why they're named that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, there, but there are also chunks of fat that, are, that form little globules that are floating around in it. And that's, um, that's just floating all over the place and making light scatter. And that's part of why milk looks white. Okay. Um, and then there are also um, a protein called casein that form little globules called micelles. Okay. that are basically just um, chunks of them holding together. And these casein micelles have little hairs that stick out called uh, kappa casein, the, the kappa casein hair, which is a basically a, uh, I don't remember if it's positive or negatively charged, but it's basically a charged protein that sticks out and keeps them from sticking together. Okay. So when you're making cheese out of the milk, what you're doing is you are trying to, in some manner, remove those little kappa casein hairs so that the casein micelles will stick together mm. and form larger and larger clumps until you mm. get solids that you can remove from the whey. And so the primary way to do that is with... The, the uh, primary way <laughs> to do that. Ouch, that was bad. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it easier to say goodbye. So <laughs> the primary way we do that is with <coughs> a uh, protein called rennet mm. that um, used to be formed... <coughs> We used to get rennet from calf stomachs. Yeah. That is not how most modern rennet is produced. But this, uh, this enzyme or protein rennet is now usually comes from a bacterial source just and, because it's cheaper and easier. And it's what makes, it's what makes the, the, those molecules stick to each other. So what it does is it removes that kappa casein uh. Uh, hairs that stick out and keep them apart. So once you've removed that, now they will clump together. Mm -hmm. The rennet doesn't make it clump together. It just stops it from not being able to. Right. Now, rennet, I will tell you, is one of the problems with eating non-kosher cheese is because if that rennet comes from a pig's stomach, mm -hmm. it is considered, for obvious reasons, not kosher. Yeah. Um, in the United States, I... I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my understanding as someone who, uh, I'm with my keeping kosher hat on. In the United States, almost all, I, I think that all domestic hard cheeses are microbial, use microbial rennet. It would certainly be close to if it's not all. I, I, think, I think that's like FDA standards. But that soft cheeses can use animal rennet, and then those you have to be a little more so, careful. So that would make sense because soft cheeses are not aged as long, typically. Okay. And so, um, so if they're, if the FDA, I don't know the specifics on this, but if the FDA is worried that you are, that the animal uh, rennet is bringing in microbes that could be problematic, then, well, if staying with soft cheeses, it's not aging nearly as long, so you can keep it refrigerated and keep that at bay. Mm -hmm. Whereas hard cheeses get aged a lot longer. Yeah. And so become more of an issue. Dairy, if you make it into cheese, will last a whole lot longer before it goes bad than if you just leave it as milk. Why, why does milk go bad? That's like a, it's, it's like because, one of the most well-known perishable foods is Because milk, it's cheese. the ideal substance for rapid growth. 
Okay. And so uh. because it is that ideal substance for rapid growth, well, microbes need the same types of things. Oh, wow. And so it's the ideal substance for microbes to grow in. Wow. Wow. And keeping them in the refrigerator helps. Keeps, yeah. It keeps. slows down the growth, but it yeah. won't completely stop it. Ugh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> just like thinking about spoiled milk like makes me pretty sick. But uh, you know, but that's well, and this that, is, that makes good sense. This is why if you get like a if you see like a ultra pasteurized milk, it won't need to be refrigerated because if you heat milk enough that you really kill off absolutely everything, yeah, and keep it in that stable environment, it'll last forever, right? Until you open it, uh-huh. and then the microbes can get back in. Uh huh. So ultra pasteurized milk is shelf stable until you open it. Right. Wow. Huh. And I and I guess that's probably true for any food that goes bad or doesn't yeah. go bad. Yep. Is that if you're able to keep the microbes out, if you can keep the microbes at bay, yeah, it lasts forever. Yeah. Wow. That's that's great. Honestly, this might be one of my my favorite ones. I, I almost asked why does cheese taste so good because I love how cheese tastes, but I don't even need to ask that. Well, I feel like you've answered that, so, and also I I know enough from the oil podcast about why food tastes so good. Tim, yeah, really, I think this might be one of my favorites, which makes it all the harder <laughs> to say goodbye. I mean, this is uh, this has been such a great experience for me. I've learned so much and I've gotten to know you better, which I appreciate. I think I I have one last question for you, Tim, which is, has your mom listened to any of the podcasts? (laughs) Like, did that ever happen? Um, I actually don't know. Okay. I have told parts of my family about it. Okay. Um, I do not know whether my mother ever listened to it. Well, listen, people in Tim's family and everybody else. You know what's going to happen is that this is going to have a, it has a cult following and yeah, never went mainstream and never like uh, caught fire. We never went viral, but you know, the people who know about it, know about it. And then 10 years from now, people are going to see you on the street and they're going to be, you're the guy, you're the guy. Uh, But Tim, I want to, from the bottom of my heart, really say thank you so much for making the time. I mean, Tim uh, kind of did this as a volunteer this whole this whole time. Oh, it's been fun. Yeah, and uh, that that's really to all of our benefit. And I know, based on feedback that I've heard, that everybody really admires your wealth of knowledge. I think, as Amy put it, your encyclopedic knowledge. <laughs> and um, yeah, this this was really great. So, Tim, the on behalf of everybody at Schechter, uh, best of luck in whatever comes next in California. I hope that you won't be a stranger. Uh, and maybe you'll subscribe to uh, season two uh, if I'm able to get Hulu to sponsor that. So, <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care. To think that there are people in the world who ever thought to themselves, you know what we should do with breast milk? Burn it and see what happens. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, that's just like, that's weird to me. So it is a fairly standard scientific technique. Okay. Um, you, if you want to find out what something is made of, you have to break it down. 
Mm -hmm. And there's lots of different methods for breaking it down. Isn't that how you're a teacher, too? If you want to find out what a student <laughs> is made of, you break them down. Well, hopefully not too much. Yeah, yeah, not too much. Yeah. 